I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Imagine having Olympic-sized dreams and in pursuit of those dreams, being able to eat, sleep, train, and live amongst athletes from all different sports with those very same dreams in a magical place called the Olympic Training Center. Now, I've visited the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and it's truly inspirational. Everywhere you turn, there are these reminders and lessons from those that have gone before you and achieved those very amazing things that you dream of achieving. Well, a visit's one thing, but today's guest, Gideon Massey, lived and trained there for many years on his journey from young aspiring athlete to two-time Olympian. Many consider Gideon's big breakout performance was when he claimed gold at the 2003 Pan American Games. He's regarded as one of the most successful American track cyclists with 20 national titles. In today's episode, Gideon walks us through his version of chess on bikes. He tells us what it was like to live and train at the Olympic Training Center, and he tells us all about his two Olympic experiences. Gideon also opens up to us about how he considers himself a recovering Olympic athlete and the challenges that retiring and transitioning into a life outside of sport can bring. Before we jump into our conversation with Gideon, make sure to go hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening right now so that you don't miss a single amazing episode. If you've been enjoying The Pursuit of Gold, please consider giving us a five-star rating and leaving us a review to tell us what you're enjoying most about the show. And don't forget to share your favorite episodes with your friends. Help us get the word out so that we can continue to encourage, inspire, provide helpful resources. And yes, your reviews and your sharing these episodes help us bring on these amazing guests. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Gideon Massey, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so glad you're here. Thank you, Laura. Excited to be here. Yeah, you were actually an entire day early, so I'm glad we are still connected right now. <laughs> <This is good. laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Well, something like that. Usually it's like I'm uh, early for the second uh, <laughs> the second showing or whatever it is sometimes. Yeah, so I hear this that. Is good. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. We met back, I think it was like 2015. It was on one of the home uh, Hope Sports home builds. And um, it was my second one. I brought my husband with me. Um, but you, you've been on quite a few of those, hadn't you? Yeah. I, I, as a matter of fact, I think I might have been on the inaugural build um it was mostly i don't recall if it was it was cyclist or if there was a mixture of athletes but uh, olympic para, uh, paralympic but yeah i've done a number of them and and uh since the first one i was i was i was pretty hooked yeah i know it was a really cool thing just bringing athletes together to to build homes for for the poor and impoverished it was really cool awesome experience a good bonding experience for us too i thought that was really really neat but we've been stalking you ever since <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's it, it's a, it's fun because that's part of the beauty of sport and you know some of the opportunities we have too. It's just to kind of connect in those ways and then remain connected and to 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 varying degrees. Yeah, definitely. Now, I love to talk to the guests that come on the show about how they found their way into their sport. Because a lot of people, some people find their sport really young. Some people try a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, we talked to Lauren Gibbs back in the early days. She didn't even find bobsled till she was 30. So how did you find your way into the cycling world? 
Yeah, I was one of those that began young. And um, I, I tell people 10 or 11 years old is when I first kind of started out on a bike. And I, I was my friends rode bikes before I did. So I was, I mean, 10, 11, that's still young, but I had a number of friends that were capable and able to balance and do those things prior, you know, well before me. But I started out very young on the velodrome. That's the venue that we race on and got introduced to youth programs and developmental programs and so forth that helped, uh, helped me learn how to ride on the track and, and so forth. But the main uh, catalyst, I think, was my was my dad. My parents were um, always very supportive. But my dad was a an athlete, a pro athlete, but a but a recreational cyclist, and um, that's what got me got me going into the sport. Well, so was there just a velodrome by your house? Because I feel like that is not something that would even come into my mind because it's not something, I mean, I've seen it at the Olympics, but I've never seen it anywhere else. Like, how do you happen to find a velodrome? Yeah, it, there there are very few uh, f- few and far uh, between. I, I think there uh, the number that comes to mind is maybe about twenty or something throughout the U.S. Uh, give or wow. take. But um, Pennsylvania is my home and where my family's at and where I grew up. And uh, we our, our velodrome was thirty minutes from my house and. It happens that it's it it was and and still to this day is is the premier track um, when it comes to racing and um, kind of cutting your teeth as a young rider and when I was getting into it I mean the crowds were were wonderful the competition was 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 better than anywhere else and so the learning curve was just very very uh, very 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 quick and high and um, so I was fortunate I grew up thirty minutes from one well that's so cool I mean so was. I mean, you get on a bike, like, did your dad kind of direct you to trying it at this velodrome or were you trying like race it, like road racing or anything? Or I, I know nothing about getting into cycling. So I'm just kind of very curious of like how you get into this, like, and, and which, how do you choose your specialization, I guess? I did everything uh, in terms of cycling. I, I did all of the disciplines. As a matter of fact, I started out doing the endurance disciplines and then not too long uh, following that, I I discovered or determined that those were um, boring and and <laughs> more 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 suffering than I than I was comfortable with, and went to the sprint disciplines and then discovered that there wasn't much of a difference, but um, <laughs> the training requirements. So, um, but no, I, I was I was always I had a good endurance, but I was also a pretty good naturally good sprinter and the sprint disciplines were more intriguing and and just looked more fun and appealing to me. I dabbled between both the sprint and and the endurance uh, events and disciplines, but eventually decided that uh, the sprint disciplines were going to be my focus and where I would put my, uh, my time and energy. And, but, but the endurance aspects had, had, had helped me kind of shape my, my sprinting capabilities as well and my training and, and so forth. So yeah, I just came down to what looked like more, uh, more fun at the time at, at that age. Isn't that funny how that works? Then that just ends up being mm-hmm. your thing. I love it. Well, because you, okay, so I, it might be different for cycling because I mean, you see the guys on the Tour de France and they have like zero upper body, they're all legs, but they tend to, they, to me, they look like smaller people, but you're a pretty big guy. And I, I think of swimmers and the sprinters tend to be taller and bigger. Is that kind of the same with cycling or no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The road riders, the Tour de France riders are, I mean, they just put so many miles in on the bike and they, they do so many varied type of courses where they're they're climbing, they're descending, they're flat stages, I mean, whatever it is. So they're very jacks of, of all trades and, and 
the sport is just such that it, it requires them to not carry a lot of excess uh, excess weight and pull it around with them. And for me, my disciplines, you know, longest event for me was probably about a minute long. And I was, you know, my, my goal is how strong can I get and how, how efficiently can I move um, that mass through the, through the air and across the boards of the track. And so it was advantageous uh, for, for, uh, sprinters, um, specifically track, uh, sprinters to be more muscular and, and just generally stronger. Albeit we get such a diversity of, of shapes and sizes that are, are all capable of going very, very fast in our sport. So it's not the, it's not the rule, but it's certainly the common, uh, the commonality. That's so cool. Well, tell me more about the velodrome, because as someone who's just been in the audience from television, you know, it looks like you just fly over it so smooth, you make it look like it's so easy, but it's actually super steep, right? I mean, for me, this may be a stupid question, but like, how do you start and stop without falling over? You know, people... I mean, television doesn't do doesn't do us justice as with many many sports i mean diving i, I can't imagine if <laughs> you were to go up there and and some of the the heights that you that you dive from and uh even being on the springboards and stuff so the track is is usually the standard is about 45 degrees 45 degree angle in the turns which means you if you tried to walk on it you would just you would you wouldn't be able to you would slide right off the side and the same the same goes for riding your bike if you don't maintain a certain speed uh, base level speed you will slide off the track and and fall and um, so it's designed to go fast and there are some tracks that are more steep and there are some that are less steep and I say every track has has its own character to it so there's different distances uh, of tracks and so forth so everyone has a little bit of a, a nuance to it, a little bit of a learning curve. And when it comes to starting and stopping, we're riding a fixed gear bicycle, so we cannot coast. We're constantly, if we're in motion, our, our feet are moving. So we control our speed by the um, banking of the track and manipulating our, our, our position on the track, as well as by either pedaling faster or harder or resisting the pedals to slow ourselves down. So we can't just slam on the brakes at any point in time, but we can speed up or slow down very abruptly if we use the track and the and the banking. Man, you really got to know that discipline. I mean, does that take a long time to learn or was it pretty fast for you since you were young and you just picked it up, I'm guessing? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you learn pretty quickly. And as a youngster, you know, you have little, very little fear of these things. And uh, I didn't start right away on the steep track, the 45 degree track, the one in Pennsylvania is um, I think 28 or 32 degrees or something like that. So it's very, I don't, there was no concern or fear about sliding off the track. You could pretty much go as slow as you wanted and not have to worry about anything. And it's an outdoor track and um, different surface. Uh, it's a concrete surface versus a wood surface. So different things come into play. But as a youngster, learning the ropes on a track like that, which was much more forgiving, um, I don't know, you know, if I was that age trying to learn to ride on a velodrome that's 45 degrees banking and, you know, wood boards and so forth, uh, if it would be a different experience for me, but uh, it was a gradual progression and I, you know, I learned from some of the best. Ah, that's cool. Well, how, how common are crashes on the track? Cause some of this stuff is time, but then there's some where you're, you're on the track with people, right? Yeah. My disciplines, um, I, I, maybe had six or eight riders on a track at once in, in any given competition, um, for a specific event. Some events was just you on the track. Um, some events are, are you and one other person or two or three. So we have the entire, the whole track, a 250 meter track. That's, you know, that's, um, 
I might have this wrong, but it's like 12 meters or something uh, wide. Um, so it, it's quite the distance wide, but on the track, there's these little lane markers, colored lane, colored lines that, that kind of denote certain areas of the track. And there's a real small one at the bottom of the track. We call it the sprinter's lane where you've got a black line and a red line. And majority of the racing happens between those, uh, that 12 inches or, or uh, whatever. It's a little bit wider than that, but between that, that, that space. So riders, the shortest distance is, is always the, the lowest part of the track because it's essentially a, an oval. So, you know, we're trying to fit into small spots. We're trying to get every advantage possible. We're, we're traveling at speeds that are um, approaching 45 and 50 miles per hour for short periods of time. Things happen, whether it's equipment, whether it's, you know, contact with another rider, those things, it's just the nature of the sport. So you, you fall, you hit the track, you slide for a while, and then hopefully, you know, if there's other riders, they're, sometimes they'll, they'll, get, they'll be collateral and go down with you. But sometimes you go years without something. And other times you have a year where you have two or three or four falls and, you know, you just get beat up, but, um, it's not an everyday occurrence. It, it happens. It's part of the, part of the risk that we take. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe not quite as insane as like the winter version of like short track speed skating, like with Apollo. We had Apollo Ono on here in episode 16 and he told us about the insanity of that. But I mean, they have to be straight, very strategic too. And like when you pass, and there's only certain times that you can really do that. So that kind of reminds me of that a little bit, maybe not quite as <laughs> crazy, but maybe the summer Olympic version, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're like a grown up version of that. I mean, the racing that we do, the track we we're competing on is the same, you know, it's the same principle. It's the same, uh, some of the same parallels and, and, and types of, uh, I, th- I think mental gymnastics that go into when do you pass, where do you pass, you know, where, where do you want to be? Where do you want to position yourself? But it's just a larger, a larger scale. So, you know, it's similar. I, I think it's a very, very good comparison, particularly for one of the events that we have called the Kieran, which is, um, where, where we have the six or eight riders in, in the mix and, uh, we're, we're all jockeying for that top spot. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell me about, I think your first real breakout moment was the 2003 Pan Am games. Would that be right? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Well, t- tell me about that. I was at that Pan Am games. It was in Dominican Republic. And I, I remember that, that fondly, but tell me about your breakout moment there. The games, the Pan Am games, any any Olympic athlete will tell you it's like a mini Olympics and they happen every three years. Right. So prior to the games or every four years, rather, the, the year prior to the games. And it's a fun event because you go through all the motions. You've got your opening ceremonies, you get your 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 team kit and your your team USA swag. And and then you go out and you're you're wearing you know, the, the, for us as you know, Americans of stars and bars and, and you've got the whole team behind you. So there's already, you're on a different level because the, the magnitude of it is, is like you're representing so much, something so much larger that, um, you haven't experienced before at that, at that level. So South America, we've always done a lot of racing, um, as a, as a country, uh, and cycling track cycling, we've always done a lot of racing down there. So it's a familiar, uh, space and familiar competitors, and we've we've generally historically been very successful. So um, I think the expectations were high. I think the um, the confidence was high, and then you add into it the rah rah and the and the excitement of just 
being there amongst other members of Team USA and everybody else in which you're supporting one another. So, you know, we just went into it with, with everything, expectations that we weren't going to walk away without some, you know, some hardware and some metals. And, uh, and we did that. So um, I was fortunate to come away with a um, a gold and a silver. Um, it was an athlete that I competed against that ultimately um, had had got uh, tested positive for a banned substance, and it bumped me up to a gold and silver. So originally I was silver and bronze, but that was like a definitely a wow moment of this is cool. I cannot wait to experience this on a whole nother level with the Olympics. And um, you know, this is what we work so hard for: is moments like this to uh, to showcase and, and shine. Well, I love how you described it as a mini Olympics. It truly is because it's like it's all the Olympic sports. Like you said, opening ceremonies, we're all staying in a little village. You could get the outfitting. It, it does feel very much like that. And it's really heavily promoted and stuff. And um, yeah, really exciting. That, that's that's really cool. You got your start there. I mean, that same year you, you moved to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, right? Did you go before the Pan Am Games or after? You know, I think I was, I may have been there before, um, a, a year or two before, maybe actually, no, it's not true. I was there, I think 99, maybe, or 2000, right around there. I was, I became a resident athlete and yeah, so I, I was, I was, that was home base for me for, uh, from that period for another, uh, from then for about another seven years or so after that. And, you know, you kind of, you bring, you bring your I mean, there again, like the training center is a whole nother conversation. Like it's, that's a, an amazing um, family to be a part of. And you bring that along with you when you go to the games. And at this point I'm young, I'm probably early twenties and, and it's, everything is new and you're just traveling to amazing places and you got support behind you. And it's just a, it's just a fun thing to be, uh, to be a part of. So well, and I would, I would, I want you to tell us about the training center a little bit. I mean, I've visited it a number of times, and, and it it just feels so inspiring. But I've never actually lived there or spent days on in there, and so I want to know, like, I want you to kind of walk us through what it's like to be there because that has got to be, especially somebody who's like a young athlete just really starting out their career. It's got to be so cool. But I also want to know, does it stay cool? <laughs> you know <Yeah>. what I mean? <laughs> so, so tell us about it first, and then you can walk us through all the feels. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I for me, it always stayed cool. I, I thought uh, right up until the point that I left, then it was then it was not as cool because we all left. So, um, <laughs> but I thought it was. I mean, again, as a as a youngster, when you're like, you know, you're focused on school and you have other obligations, that you're at home, you have chores, you have other things, and you, at least for me, you can't wait to be able to focus solely on on the sport that you, you love, this was now an opportunity where you're thrown right into a high performance setting and you've got everything you could possibly need at your, at your fingertips from the sports medicine, from the gym, from the, the, uh, psychological, um, support. I mean, there's many, the cafeteria, there's many things there that, um, make it uh, a home away from home. And I could not help, but feel like, I had obligation in, in performing at my best and being on my game every day, um, being in that setting where you have people there that are supporting you. You have other athletes there that have similar mindsets because that's a big thing. Like from a cultural standpoint, it's like you want people that share a high performance 
mindset alongside you and success breeds success. And that's a huge part of it as well. Not everybody enjoys being there because truly there's, there's not a lot to do when you're there, um, outside. And I got there when I was young and, um, I, I really didn't have much to do cause I, I couldn't drive. I, I had room, uh, monitors or, or something like that. So when we weren't training, it was like, where are you, what are you doing? What are you going? Where are you going? Who are you seeing? Like, oh, it's man. like, you know, I thought I moved from Pennsylvania to Colorado to, to get a little time to, you know, have some freedom. And, you know, it's like, you got your parents calling you, you got coaches, you know, you know, there, and, but, but it's all, you know, it's all, it's, it was fun. And mm-hmm. you get older, we were a family. And, and I think that's what we got out of it is many, many of my closest friends and um, vice versa were born out of that setting. And we essentially grew up together in, in you know, through sport, through the, the success and the, and the hardships and everything you know, we lived, we lived that together um, and we supported one another. And that was a great, great thing about, about that, that space that I, I always enjoy and reminisce uh, very fondly about. That's so cool. So was it mostly cyclists that you were with that like you feel like were your kind of family there or was it all kinds of athletes? Yeah, all sports. Um, I, I, I shared a room. I think the first room I had there, uh, in a storm dormitory style living, I think I had two or three other cyclists that one was from California. Another one was from Indianapolis, Indiana, um, couple other places. So, you know, we were, we converged on Colorado and, um, <laughs> we knew each other from other racing and things, but, you know, we, we grew to know each other and then we, and then we, you know, we branched out. There's other sports there. I mean, we had weightlifting, we had, um, swimming, we had, uh, wrestling, uh, gymnastics, volleyball, so many other sports. So, uh, speed skating. So we got to become friends with a lot of different people and, and hung out and trained together and, um, did things together. And so it wasn't, it definitely wasn't just one sport palling around with each other. We, <laughs> we supported everybody. I, I think that's one of the coolest parts about the training center. Cause it is, it's not just like you said, each sport, it's like the whole Olympic team and hopeful is like coming in. It's really neat. Well, you, I mean, you made your first Olympic team that next year, 2004. So what was it like to realize that dream? Like, how was the Olympic experience for you? Once you get a taste of it, I always said there's, there's nothing like it. You just want to go back. Um, (laughs) I, I, that was my experience. I I was, I ate it up and I, I was fully bought into, you know, into it. And, and my objective wasn't, to go just to go. And, uh, you know, my objective was to go in and compete to the best of my ability and, and, you know, take full advantage of, of that experience. And my family was there, uh, and they, they were able to, um, experience that with me. So it was just a, a tremendous experience. Everything is brand new. So it's coming at you one thing after the next, and you're just, you're just wowed by, all the stuff that, that is there at your disposal. So, you know, to some degree, it's actually, it it can be overwhelming. It can be sensory overload. It can be, uh, feel like pressure, a a lot of different emotions that, that you can experience. But again, it was all new. So, and plus I'm in Athens, it's like, you know, that's, there's so much history behind Mm -hmm. the Olympic games and being there and, I was pumped the whole time. I was just like, this is amazing. And I can't wait to 
to to go back to to another game after I was done. That so as soon as it's over, you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready for 2008. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was. That was my mentality. I'm like, four more years. Like, come on, this is, <laughs> you know. But yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, what was your? Did you have a favorite part of that games? I I always come back to the opening ceremonies, but I think um, I don't know if I had one one particular moment that I could. That just the identify. whole, the whole experience as a whole. I mean, it, it is pretty overwhelming and special that first time. I agree. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So after Athens, you were selected by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, or we all call it USADA, to participate right. in a series of public service announcements that promoted clean, honest, and fair competition with the theme, my health, my sport, my victory, I compete clean. And I know you told us a little bit about how um, someone who beat you, who ended up ahead of you uh, at the Pan Am Games, tested positive, and so you got bumped up. What was kind of that whole experience like? Because some people, when that happens, at least even though they reap the benefits of that person testing positive, they have such a sour taste. Like, how did you deal with that? Did it upset you at all? Were you, I I guess just, I don't don't want to put words in your mouth. I just kind of want to hear from you, like what your experience and thoughts were around that. Yeah, I have, I mean, at this point in time, I I think my, my view of it now is different than, than it was then. But, you know, uh, generally speaking, my, my approach was, I cannot control that. I know there's people out there that do it. I know that there is, you know, speculation that some of my competitors, competitors do it, but if I can still go out there and perform clean myself and, and still beat them, that's great. If, if I go out and I lose to them, then, you know, what like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to make an excuse and say, well, this person is doing this or that. I I just, you know, I, I, my, my feeling was like, I'm going to go out and perform to the best of my ability and, and the rest will settle as, as, as it should. I mean, yeah, it's disappointing. Like you can't be up there and certainly at a, on a, on a, a stage like that where you have the opportunity to see your flag raised and and be uh, on a podium and and experience all that goes with that, but it's happened a few times throughout my you know fifteen or twenty year career. If it happened, you know, every weekend, I'd probably be like, yeah, this is <laughs> this thing, this this sucks. But you know, for the few times that it does, it's. I mean, that's why we have people out there that are striving to keep people honest and, and, and test, uh, and so forth in our testing regimen as, as I, as I know you, you know, as you know, for our audience, it's like, it's, it's crazy. Like you are, you have to document where you're at every, you know, every day, every, every hour of the day and you know, every day and week and month, uh, throughout the year. So, but it's what we sign up for. So I don't fault people for making that decision. I, to me, it's, it's something where I feel like they've given up and they've determined, well, I can't get any better doing it right. So I'm going to take this Avenue. And, you know, I, I feel bad for those people that, that choose to go that route, but it doesn't impact what I do and how I approach what I do. I sleep comfortably at night. Well, how, I mean, and, and I love that. I totally a thousand percent agree with everything you just said, but like for the people who do get upset by that, for the people who get angry because they don't get their moment in the spotlight, if they feel like they've earned it, you know, uh, like what do you, what advice do you give to those people on how can they change the way they're looking at it and the way they're feeling about it? Well, I don't think we can control every aspect of, of what we do. And certainly in competition, I mean, that's competition 101. It's like control the things that you can control. And I think it's also about where we uh, where we place our 
the purpose in, in, in what we do. And I'm a Christian and, and I, I sport is something that, you know, my faith is, is hugely important to me. And, and I try to live that out through, through my competition, uh, you know, and, and so I'm, for me, it's like, yes, I am 100% committed to performing at my very best, um, as an athlete, but what I am is, is, is insignificant to like the larger, um, the bigger picture and, and what God is, has, has created and set out for me and laid, laid, uh, the path that he's laid for me. So, you know, not everybody has that in their lives and, and, you know, I can appreciate that that makes it hard when all of your your being and your value and everything is wrapped up into um, that performance. For me, it's important. But at the end of the day, it's like I, I, you know, Lord willing, I get the opportunity to go back out there and compete again the next day. And I think examining why you're what, why you're competing, why you're putting in all the effort, why, you know, what's meaningful to you about being victorious. Um, you know, we don't work so hard to go out there and, and be second. Like that's, that's a given. Like we go out, we work hard, we make Olympic teams. Like we want to be, we want to be on the podium. We want to, I believe that's something that, you know, God has given us that, that desire and that, that, that drive to, you know, want to be the best that we can be and, and beat other people. Um, at, at what we're doing, but you know, we can't get so wrapped up in it that we we forget the larger picture. Because you know, the other side of it is like it can be taken away from you, and you know, in, in an instant, you, you know, not everybody gets fifteen or twenty years to be able to compete and do and travel and, and do the things that that, that they love. Um, some of you know, and, and so I just think it's examining your taking account and doing a temperature check on why you're doing it and, and what it is that you're trying to, you're striving to achieve and get out of doing it and, and just take a hard look at that and have some conversations with other athletes that have been there for a very long time that, that are doing it well and haven't gotten burned out and are, are just joyful in what they're doing. I love that. And I love the finding a purpose. Like, yeah, if you don't have a purpose, it's kind of like not having a destination. Like, how do you know if you're going to get there? <laughs> you know, um, I love it. Uh, well, okay. In 2004 at the Olympics, you did the team sprint, right? Yes. And then in 2008, I think you did both the team sprint and the individual. Is that correct? I did the Kieran. Yeah. That's the other event I did, which is a individual event. And yeah, the Kieran is, uh, it, it's a, that was one the one more like events. the short track, right? With the six to eight people. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> gotcha. right. That's right. So we have a, we have a bike that paces us up to a speed and then drops us off. And then we all just have at it and first person across the line wins. So oh, wow. it's a bit of a free for all, but it's, it's not, what I like about it is like, you could run the race six different times and have six different results. It's not always the fastest person that wins. You have to be, um, you know, sometimes the, the, the bravest, sometimes the, you know, the dumbest or like the luckiest there's like anything that could happen would have, you know, can happen or anything that could happen would happen in, in uh, that, that type of event. So I, I love it. I love that about it. I feel like that would stress me out. I mean, what, I guess, what do you, is it, is it just the excitement of, of knowing that anything can happen good or bad, or is it like, do you like the strategy of it or what, what is it that draws you to such a crazy event? I just love the, the ability that, you know, it's like, you just have to be so hyper focused. And when a moment presents itself, it's like you either take it or, or that door closes. And sometimes it's the right, right decision. And sometimes it's not. Um, usually in that event, you have one, maybe two opportunities to 
make the right decision to put yourself in the best possible position to, to be successful. And then after that, it's a, you know, it, it's a crapshoot. Like you just don't know, <laughs> like it could be everybody in front of you could fall down and then you, you know, you have, you, you win the day or any number of things. So I'm very comfortable in, in uncertainty because I know that my preparation is such that if given the opportunity, I'm going to be where I need to be. And I, I'm just like, it's a clean slate. It's like, you know, let's just see how this works out. I have a plan. I have a game plan, but if something changes, then, you know, I'll adapt. And there's nothing better than crossing the line and being like, that was, I want to see that race on tape. Like that was, <laughs> that was just crazy. You know, you're recounting it and replaying it in your mind and, you know, going through it all. And it's like, uh, it's just, it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun. That's cool. Well, tell me, like, compare the team event versus the these like crazy individual events. Like, what what do you prefer more, or is, are there just different things that you like about each of them? The team event is almost, I think, more less stressful. Um, if you know, if stressful is the right word, because you have other people. I I, I don't envy team sports, but when you have a team sport setting, and I, I know you know you're an individual athlete as well. It's like. Mm-hmm everything is on you. Like Mm -hmm. if you, if you make it and it goes well, it's like, yes, if you don't, it's like, you know, all (laughs) fingers point back to you. And, um, and the team event, it's like, okay, I've got two other people. That's, you know, my team event for the sprinters is three, three people and uh, we have a job to do. So we work together and it's like, we focus on that job and we encourage one another and, um, at the end of the day, it's a time trial, like the fastest there's technical aspects to it, but our go- our objective is to go as fast as we can make the, the correct exchanges, do it like we drew it up on, you know, on the napkin and, and just, just do it, execute. If done right, there's no emotion to it. It's like, here's what you do. The other stuff, the individual stuff, it's like, you know, it's, it's chess on bikes. It's, it's a, you know, there's, there's a chess a on men- bikes. I like that. Yeah. It, it's, it's like there, there's a posturing, there's a uh, sense of intimidation of confidence and, and things that you just sense from the other athletes, or maybe you're the one that's putting out that, that feeling to your competitors so that when you get on the line, to compete against them. Sometimes the race is already done. Sometimes it's like, you know, to the level where you're like, well, geez, this guy just, you know, I I saw his last race because we're all in the infield and we're all seeing the different races and so forth. So there's, there, you know, we, we see what happens. Um, you know, we see how hard people are going, you see their breathing, you see them get off the bike. Like, are they, you know, are they just, you know, absolutely spent? Like, do they have nothing left or, you know, or are they playing like they are? It's like, there's so many different factors. It's like, it's Lots of head games too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's gamesmanship. <laughs> so that's, what's fun about it. And I think, um, uh, in the individual stuff, that's where that comes into play. You can really have some fun and, and go out there and, you know, there's, there's more leniency to, I guess the rules that, that are in play to be uh, the top rider and whatever the event is. So, each one has its has its intricacies and yeah, fortunate to have a couple of different events to choose yeah. from. Well, it keeps it interesting. I would think that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, OK. Compare the Beijing Games in, in 2008 to your first experience where you were just like, oh, I'm at the Olympics in Athens. Um, you know, in 08, was it still as exciting or you're kind of like, all right, 
been here, done this. Like now I got a job to do or like, where, where was your mind? I think Athens was like a warm up for a dress rehearsal for Beijing because it's like Beijing was just a ma- just such a massive scale. Uh, everything was bigger and more like just more, more, more. Yeah. China rolled out the red carpet for sure. Yeah. It was just uh, on another level. So I had done it before. So I knew what to expect to a, to a great degree, which is a, you know, can be a blessing or a curse, depending how you, you know, <laughs> how, how that goes. And, but I was ready for it. I was excited. I was like, like, I knew what to look forward to. I knew what to look, you know, to, to expect. And yeah, it was kind of like, like, follow me. I know where to go, what to do, like sort of thing. And I was just like, you know, pretty stoked to be, to be a part of it. The newness of it. I mean, that never went away. The new car smell. It was like, <laughs> this is great. I'm excited to be here. Every games, you know, leading up to it, it's like, well, I, I never had a sense like it was for sure going to happen. So that's another part of it too, is like in Beijing, I thought, you know, if you had asked me 12 months before, uh, you know, I, I was like, I, I don't know, like, it's going to be hard to make the team. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so you, you end up doing it and you're like, you're pumped to be there. And then again, there's no guarantee that you get to go back. So you want to experience it all and, and without taking away from your, what you're there to do. So yeah, it was just a different, I, I think every game has its, its own lifeblood to it. It's its own characteristics, its own People say, well, I did this one. I did the Sydney games or I did the you know, Barcelona or what, whatever. Like I did London, like London is another uh, powerhouse games where it's like everything is just perfect. Right. So um, <laughs> it's fun to compare and experience each one. What were your competition experiences like? How did they differ? I think I was more relaxed in Athens. I think I was a little less, less pressure again, because everything is new. Expectations are like they're, they're not that high. Like, it's kind of just like, I mean, to be honest, it's, we're a young team We're you know, we're, we're hopeful that we can, you know, cut our teeth here, perform, but hopefully be back again four years later. And when Beijing rolls around, it's that, that clock has, has begun ticking and it's like, well, you know, how much longer are we going to be in this, uh, in this position to be able to go and compete and earn our spots and, and everything. So I, I think, Beijing, I was a little bit more cognizant of that. And um, to to a, a greater degree, we had trials leading right up to the day before for certain events. So that the curing wow. selection was a, yeah, was a, a trial um, days prior to that event. So we had, you know, myself and another rider were competing for, for that. Then uh, the coaches made the decision. So there was never a point where we just said, okay, like, let's sit back, relax, focus on this. It was always like, uh, there's always a little bit of like, uh, I, I, I hope I get to compete tomorrow. Oh man, that's intense. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the other thing too, like I, I had to pay my own way to the world championships to be, uh, to, so that we could earn the spot to go to the Beijing Olympics. So it was like, there was things you had to that pay your way uh, for, for the world championships. Yeah. We wow. had to, um, I mean, we weren't even going to feel the team. Um, and I was fortunate. I had somebody that stepped up and said, we'll, we'll help you out here and stuff. So there's a lot of, there was a lot of baggage that kind of went into it where it was like constantly, you never felt like you had, you were constantly chasing. You never feel like you had, you know, something that 
was where you could take a breath. And um, so I think some of that went, went into uh, the performance of it all. But I have no, I mean, that's the experience that I, that I had. And I'm not regretful of that. I, 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 I wouldn't say that if it was done differently, I would have performed better. Um, you know, I, I'm grateful for that, that time. And I the only, you know, maybe a regret is not having a chance to go back for a third time and, you know, go to another Olympics and stuff. Cause the more you learn and the more seasoned you become, the more you're like, okay, if I do this differently, or if I, you know, if I, I think about this aspect or focus on that, it's, it's just, it's, it's your, your maturation as a maturation, as a, as an athlete. And yes, it's the cliche, the thing, the thing to say, but it's like, if I knew then what I know now type of thing. So the longer you can stay in the sport, the more you, you're able to kind of identify different things, the more the technology comes into play and, you know, as athletes, the longevity of the athlete, the health of the athlete, so many different things change over time. So it's just, it's just fun. I mean, I'll give you one example of, of, and this might only apply to people that understand cycling, but when we were first competing, my first, um, uh, junior world championships, the, the gears that we were riding, the gear ratios we were riding were compared to where we finished and not even where they're at now, but where, where they finished, the gear ratios were, probably like a full 15 or 20 inches larger, which means it would be the equivalent of being like, okay, I'm going to take my, my friend's road bike, which has the small chain ring and the big chain ring. I'm going to put it in the small chain ring and the smallest cog, like I'm going to climb a hill and I need every revolution possible. And then going to the biggest chain ring and the smallest cog and where I, if I went up a hill, I would fall over because I'm not strong enough to <laughs> turn the pedals. Uh-huh. Like that's the difference of, between the gears that we rode then and the gears that we rode and starting to ride towards the end, it just changes. And so not even just you as an athlete, but yeah, like, like you said, the technology, the equipment, all of that stuff. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I can look back at it and say, well, it's not that I couldn't do that when I was younger. It's just that nobody thought about it and nobody, it never crossed anybody's mind. So, but that's, you know, that's the nature of sport. Ah, that's so, so did, did you just get bit by the bug again? Or like, I got to go back for that third time or cause you kept training for, for 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And I came up a bit short. I was on a long team and, um, it came down to myself and I think two other riders. And unfortunately uh, for me, there was a, another guy that was faster and we only fielded one, one athlete for that games. That was London. You know, I was disappointed. And that was a feeling that I, I never experienced before because, you know, eight years, it's essentially eight years of your life, if not 12 or longer, where you're in the midst of it and you're experiencing these things as as a firsthand, like you can touch it, taste it, smell it. And then you're like, okay, like now you're completely removed from it. You're watching it on television. You're, you know, you're, you're reading about it. it. You understand what everybody's going through and the emotions and the excitement and everything. And you're not a part of it. And that's, that's hard. So how, like how close to the games were you essentially cut off that list? Um, we made, they made the decision probably, I want to say six months out, something like that. Because I do remember we were, I, I still competed, um, for a number of months after that, uh, at some different events. I just said, okay, well, I'm, I'm riding well, better than I ever have, but 
no, I, I don't have any place to, <laughs> to yeah. use it. So I may as well just go and do some other competitions. And at that point I was like, you know, I, I don't think I'm done, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to treat it as, you know, we're going to focus on these other races and we'll start it all over again. When I, and you snagged your 20th national title then too, right? Yeah, I think I think that was along along that uh, that same time period. Yeah. Well, so I, I just had to tell you because I got stuck at nineteen and I got second at the uh-huh. last two, trying to get number twenty. And so I uh, you know I don't think I don't know if I'll ever get to the elusive twenty, but you are my inspiration because you hit the big two zero. I'm I'm really impressed by that. Um, I love it. Yeah, I, that's hard. But so I mean, you're sitting there watching it at home, London, and. Were you devastated? Was it just like, didn't feel real? Or were you kind of like, where was your head at that point? I mean, obviously disappointed, but like, how do you process that? It was hard. I mean, it was, it was a moment where I was like, is this what it feels like to, to like, is this how much I, it meant to me to, to be there. And, and I actually had some, you know, leading up to the games. And like I said before, there's, there's never any, at least not for, for us guarantee that we're going to be going. And I experienced that going into Beijing and now here again and heading to London, I was like, you know what? I I just don't know. Like, I don't know if I have enough to be that person that gets to line up and and rep the USA uh, in, in the sport. Uh, I mean, I was actually at the point where I was like, man, like Lord, like help me like dial this back a little. I I don't want to care so much that it hurts this bad not to be a part of it. And that that's what it felt like. So to to be there uh watching from the outside and you know that was very that was very hard. I mean do you do you feel like you kind of had to grieve that a little bit? Because I, I feel like people have trouble processing stuff like that. I mean obviously it's like everything you're working toward and you put all this into it and then to not get it. It's, it's very devastating because you feel like that's everything. And so I think it's really important for people to like grieve that. I mean, it's a loss. It's, it's almost like losing a family member or something. It's, it's a loss of a dream and something that you were holding so close to your heart for so long. Like, did you, did, did you, do you feel like you experienced that at all? To a degree, but I don't think you, uh, sometimes it's hard to recognize that feeling. Sometimes, I mean, athletes are stubborn, athletes are liars. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and I say that because like, we're constantly telling ourselves everything's fine. Like everything's yeah. going to be okay. My body's fine. My head's fine. You know, there's the next thing. So we're pretty good at, at being at masking what is maybe driving us or what is maybe like holding us back or or whatever it might be. So I think I dealt with it for a long time. And I think that even when I stopped, even when I chose to, to after London, I, I competed for a little bit longer, but then I stopped, I wasn't ready to be done. There's a very, very small group of people that say, that go into it and do the the storybook ending like this is my last Olympics I'm going to give it everything I have I'm going to leave my shoes out there and then I'm going to walk away and everything's going to be fine like that's not that is not the typical pathway and even for people that do say like that's it I'm over it like uh, I was ready to be done I still think there's some baggage that goes along with it that you know needs to be needs to be uh, addressed because this isn't a hobby for many, many people. This is like all in the sacrifices, the monetary sacrifices, the the physical, the mental, um, the familial. Um, this is like commitment on a whole different level. And I tell people, 
uh, especially young people. And, and I do have a affinity to, to talk to young people a lot about, uh, about sport and, and, and what we learned through it, but there's many people out there and I've encountered them myself that could have been as good, better at my sport or other sports that could have gone to the Olympics and done things. But at a certain point, they just determine, well, this is too hard or it's uncomfortable or I'm not disciplined enough to stay with it. And that's uh, you're putting a lot of things on hold. Um, you're doing, you know, life kind of starts up again after some of this is done. I mean, that's the reality of of it, of, of the level of commitment that the Olympic athlete has. Um, again, there's exceptions, but that most have, um, that never, that doesn't get talked about and people don't see, and not everybody wears that on their sleeve. Yeah. Cause we've, we've been trained not to, right. Just like you said. Yeah. 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 That's, those are, uh, that's a really good point. I'm glad you're bringing that up because these are very real things that, that we go through that, that aren't really talked about. So I, I love that you are so open about that. Thank you. So, yeah. I, I mean, you say you decided to retire, but you didn't feel ready to retire. So what was that transition from being done with being an athlete into kind of this real world environment? Like how, how did that go? I, sometimes I tell people I'm like, I'm a recovering Olympic athlete. Like, <laughs> I, I have, I wasn't ready to be done. And I always thought, well, I'll give it a little bit of time. I'll do this thing. And then I'll, you know, maybe I'll have an opportunity to come back. And I think I did hang on to that for a long time um, in a sense of just wanting to still be, still compete and still be in that setting and still be looked upon as somebody that's like, Hey, like, you know, do you know, like, do you see who that is? You see what he, you know, you know, how, how, what he can do on a bike and that sort of thing. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's a comfortable space to be in. And it's, it's one that you get accustomed to, but it's not the only thing. And so, you know, you lose some of yourself when you step away from that, because not everybody cares about the Olympics and not everybody cares about, you know, what you've, what you've spent most of your life doing. And, you know, that's a, that's a real realization that you you come upon when you enter in, into a different capacity of life, but it's a stepping stone. How did you make the transition into like a job and into like how did you discover what you wanted to do? Because you're you're doing really well at real estate, it looks like at least, um, and, and you seem to enjoy <laughs> it a lot. Like, how yeah. did you find that next thing? Because I know um, for a lot of us, it's like we've never even like considered it. I mean, I, I tell people I probably wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't for a diving scholarship because I really had no no other interest besides just diving. So, I, you know, I mean, I had a lot of interest, but like I just didn't have a desire to have a certain job, you know? So how did you kind of take those next steps to figure out what to do with your life now? Yeah, it took time. And I, I, I still think I'm figuring some of those things out, but um, I, I didn't start right into real estate. Um, I, I had no interest in real estate up until a point where I talked to somebody that that I, I respect greatly that was a, re, is a recreational cyclist and have been doing it for since he was 18 years old. And he oh, said, wow. you know, hey, well, like, have you thought about this? Because I hadn't like I didn't go to I didn't go to high school or sorry, not high school. I didn't go to um, uh, college. I didn't go to university. I didn't do any of those things. I, I I was focused on on sport and um, I, I knew I did not want to finish the sport and just go into coaching or go into uh, working at a bike shop or do one of those things where it's just, well, this is the next comfortable thing to, because this is what you know and this is what you're going to do. And I, I didn't want that. So I bounced around a little bit and um, I, I did work for a, 
um, educational nonprofit in the Olympic and Paralympic realm um, for a period of time. And then I got talking to this gentleman and, you know, he happened to be a Christian as well. So he shared um, certain values and alignment in what was meaningful in, in how we approach life and why we do things. And uh, and we just got to talking and he said, well, have you thought about this? And I, I said, no, I, I I haven't. And, um, you know, I had talked about certain things with my parents as well and, and, and things, and they had actually mentioned this years prior, but we, we talked more and thought, well, you know what, this is, this is something that it gives me autonomy. I can, uh, I, I didn't want to be in an office nine to five, even though I do tend to be in the office quite a bit, but, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted the ability to still ride my bike and do things and have flexibility and be share, you know, my story and experiences and, and whatnot. And, and this was an avenue that I could, uh, I, I could do all of those things. And it wasn't, it's not easy. And there's so many parallels between real estate and sport as well. And and that's something I'm like, there's the success, there's the, there's the, there's the denial and the, and the failure. There's the, well, just keep trying. And then, you know, it, and there's no, there's no ceiling on what you can accomplish and, and so forth. So there's so many different parallels there that, that are, I think, useful and, and a comfortable uh, space for me that it just, it's become something where I'm like, I'm very grateful for, for this opportunity. I'm, I'm constantly learning, you know, able to meet people at various stages of their life and all sorts of interesting, uh, interesting parallels. So I'm grateful for that. That's cool. And I love that you're taking so many things that, that were great for you in your sport and you're totally applying them. Cause I think sometimes, you know, we, we learn all these things, we go through all these things, but then we forget we can apply them outside of our, you know, our actual sport. Like I can apply the lessons I learned outside of the pool. You can apply them outside of the velodrome. Like, you know, these things apply to real life and everyday stuff too. And it's, we have to remember to like, we have to be very intentional, I think, to be like, okay, what have I learned that I can actually apply here? And I think we forget that outside of the context of where we learn it sometimes. Okay. So what advice would you have? I know you like to talk to young athletes. So what advice would you have for athletes listening that are coming up with, you know, big Olympic sized dreams and goals? What is your best advice for them? I think it's about having a healthy approach to what their um, aspirations are. Like have, have their, have these things align with your reasoning and your, your goals and your expectations. Like there, there's a, there's a, a lot of things, a lot of, I think, self-analyzation that has to has to take place at a certain point. I, at a young age, it's like, do all the sports, have fun with it. Don't take it too seriously. Just, you know, learn, listen, listen to the people that have been there before. Don't think you know everything. Like, there's just so many things, like, as a young athlete that you um, just be a sponge and just, just soak it all up. And at a certain point where it's like, you kind of have to narrow that focus and uh, it, it's it comes to a you know it's it's a a pyramid where where things start becoming more more clear. Um, then you have the foundation of like pursuing something for the right reasons, and also being aware that there's no guarantees. And like you may have this big goal, but you know what, you might not be good enough, or you might not get this the opportunity to see that through. At what point do you make a a, a, a you know a hard left turn or a right turn or whatever and and re change that trajectory a little bit or you know there's so many things that you that you learn so I think it starts with having a healthy respect for 
for this for the sports that you're participating in, for the people that are devoting the time to invest in you, to the being willing to accept the critique and the criticism. And the worst possible thing is like if you go out there and you win everything. Like to have experience failure and experience like the 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 heartache that can come with with uh you know losing uh, and and still sticking with it like those are valuable lessons and you know our, our youth needs to understand that these are things that you can take and and can and attribute them to other areas of life and but you have to have a there has to be a foundation there to build off of and that doesn't come over the period of a, a few weeks of being in a league or whatever. It, it just takes time. So, you know, you have to be committed to it at, at, at early stages, you know, keep it fun. And then, it, and then it continues to be fun as you get older, because that's what you made it to be. And that's good. I totally like that. Um, Cause yeah, we're in such an instant gratification culture. We just want to touch a button and everything happens right now, but like, especially in sport, that's not how it works. It takes the blood, sweat and tears. It takes time. It takes learning hard lessons to get to the point that you dream of getting to for sure. Well, Gideon, where can we connect with you online if we want to keep following you or reach out to you? Sure. Um, I am from time to time. I'm active on Instagram. Um, my uh, handle is just at Gideon. Um, Gideon is G-I-D-D-E-O-N. And then that that's mostly it. Um, if you're in Southern California and need to buy or sell a house, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, you know, active in the real estate market. I, I can be found online just by Google search, but, uh, I'm always, uh, pretty, pretty accessible. I, I think I'm, I'm not super active on these platforms. I think I'm a few years late on yeah. <laughs> We're a little behind the times. That, that's popular, okay. But. Well, we'll make sure we'll make sure to link to those things in the show notes so people can just that. click right on there and find you easily. But Gideon, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey with us and showing us. I mean, just that we don't have to be afraid of the journey; that we can embrace it. And and you know, like how you talked about the Olympics, you can just love the experience and be part of it, but, you know, also walk through some of the hard things and like experience the failure and, and learn the lessons and, and grow and, and move on and become better because of that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. My pleasure, Laura. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today and please be sure to subscribe, rate and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.